Hi everyone, I'm Christy Smithers, an assistant here at the Institute. We're just about ready for you next door, but before we go in to see today's presentation, here's a message from my boss, the head of the Imagination Institute. W Hello and welcome back to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. Thanks for tuning in once again. This is show number 71 for the week of June 15th, 2008. Happy Father's Day. I am Lou Mangiello and I am back from Star Wars Weekends down at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In this week's Walt Disney World News, I'll respond to your inquiries about Disney's baggage policies when you check in for your flight at your resort, some pin events, what's coming to Disney's wide world of sports, and how you can watch full-length Disney movies for free. In the Walt Disney World rumor mill, we'll talk about what's coming to Toy Story Mania and why next year may be the last for some very popular merchandise. You know, we all talk about the Disney magic that we know believe in and appreciate, and it's really what brings us back time and time again to Walt Disney World. But what you might not know is that there are many sides to the magic that's created, and quite often we neither see nor hear about it. And I'm not talking about the magic that's created inside the resort, but what Disney does to bring that magic to those that really need it in a variety of ways. And as giving back to the community has always been very important to me, I wanted to let you hear about some of the amazing efforts that so many of the Walt Disney World cast take part in throughout the year. So I wanted to share with you my recent interview with Eugene Campbell, who is Disney's Vice President of Community Affairs, about what they do to help people close to home. Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel is going to join me once again to answer some more of your emails, and of course I'll play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. Be sure and stay tuned after the email section as I'll give you a chance to get a sample of my audio guide to Walt Disney World and have a couple of announcements. So as always, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I just want to say happy Father's Day to all fathers and dads to be out there. And a special thanks to my father because without him and everything that he's done for me, I wouldn't be able to do this. And we got to remember... It's because of the memories that we shared as kids with our parents and the memories that we make with our own children that make us really love Walt Disney World as much as we do. So, Dad, thank you for taking me down and carrying me on your shoulders and supporting me through the years. And uh, this show is for you. I'm going to start off this week's Walt Disney World News with a response to a question that I received from a number of listeners, and that was about Disney's Magical Express and how they were dealing with the checking of the bags based on recent changes in airline policies and procedures. What I've come to find out is that all of the resort airline check-in service desks have a number of new policies in place concerning check-in bags. These went into effect on June 1st, and it's because these desks are unable to collect any of the luggage fees 
on behalf of the airlines. Now, all the guest service desks are open every day at all the resorts from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m. And here are the policies for each airline. If you fly AirTran, Continental, JetBlue, Northwest, or U.S. Airways, you can check only one bag per passenger using the resort airline check-in service. If you have multiple bags, you can choose to check one there, but any additional pieces have to go through the ticket counters over at the airport. You can also call Baggage Airline Guest Services. That's 407-284-1231. You can pay them the airline's excess luggage fees in advance of checking in at the airline check-in desks. Those fees obviously vary depending on your airline, so I would check online depending on who your carrier is. If you are flying American Airlines, now they do have a per-bag fee, you must call Baggage Airline Guest Services to pay their fees or check in at the airport. And I should note here that if you are going to go ahead and pay those excess fees to the Baggage Airline Guest Services, you must use credit card. MasterCard, Visa, American Express only. They do not ca- accept cash at all. If you fly United Airlines, there are no bag fees. And if you fly Alaska Airlines, there are no bag fees now, but they will be in effect on July 1st. So if you're flying to Walt Disney World on Alaska Air after July 1st, make sure you check their website, find out exactly what those policies are. For any and all of these airlines, it's important that you realize if you have luggage that is over 50 pounds, you cannot use the uh, resort's airline check-in service. You must either use the guest service and call the number that I gave you at 407-284-1231 or bring them to the airport and check them in on your own. As I said, this really is in response to a number of questions I received about it because uh, some people were having difficulties when they got to the desk, not sure what the policies are, especially with the recent changes in the airlines. I thought it was important to kind of get this out now so you had an idea if you have any upcoming travel and are used to using the resort's airline check-in desk. In other news coming out of Walt Disney World, Mickey's Pin Trading Night is going to be held on Friday, June 27th. So if you're going to be down there and want to trade some pins, you can go to Disney's Contemporary Resort from 6 to 9 p.m. You can go trade pins there with other guests. There is no admission fee. And if you are a pin trader and Figment fan, you can go there and get a sneak peek at four new Figment statues that will be released along with pins during Disney's Pin Celebration 2008. Speaking of which, that is going to be a three-day pin event that's going to be held from September 5th through the 7th at 2008 in World Showplace in Epcot. This, the theme for this year for guests is to recall your old school days with a superlative collection of Disney pins created especially for the event. Students, that's you, will be able to enjoy guests, activities, lots of pin trading opportunities, and a live auction presented by the Drama Club. Event admission for this is $115 per guest. That includes the opportunity to pre-purchase limited edition pins, a purchase with purchase pin promotion, trading activities, games, limited edition gifts, live and silent auctions. You get to meet Disney pin partners from the Walt Disney Company. Two $15 gift cards that you can redeem at various Epcot food and beverage locations. Lots more. There is an early booking discount if you register before July 7th. The admission fee will be $100. After that date, it goes up to $115. I'll put a link in this week's show notes, but you can visit eventservices.disney.go.com for more information. Over in Epcot, I reported a few weeks ago that the Fuel for Thought post-show exhibit was closed. There was some speculation as to what might be happening. I did speak to a number of cast members on my recent visit. From what I understand, it should be open again soon as only the displays were being updated, but there will be no change in the name of the exhibit or the exhibit itself. 
staying in Epcot but moving over to World Showcase, the schedule of the performers and narrators for Epcot's 2008 Candlelight Processional were just announced. The Candlelight Processional, as you probably know, is the retelling of The Christmas Story. It features a mass choir and full orchestra. It is free with your admission to Epcot. I'll put all the, the dates and performers in the show notes this week. But again this year, there's going to be John O'Hurley, Patti LaBelle, Virginia Madsen, Cheetah Rivera, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Edward James Olmos, and Marley Maitland, among others. Moving outside the parks, Disney's Wide World of Sports is going to be expanding their offerings for both athletes as well as guests with what's going to be the largest bowling stadium in the country. It's going to have 100 lanes, stadium-style seating, and a restaurant, and it should be completed in 2010 after about 18 months of construction. And when it's not being used for tournaments, it will be open for guests who can come and play and really give them another reason to come and experience the great facilities over at Wide World of Sports. It will be open, for, like I said, for guests, except during one of the 13 United States Bowling Congress tournaments that are going to start in 2011 and run through 2029. Each tournament is played over a four- to six-month period, so for about six months out of the year, it will be open for regular guests. Now, no name or completion date has been given to the facility, but when it is completed, like I said, in 2010, I think it's really going to be a welcome addition and something else for families to do outside the parks or in the evenings or on some of those rainy days. Now, moving outside the parks, but something interesting I thought nonetheless, did you know that you can actually watch full-length movies like Finding Nemo online for free? And yes, it's legal. It's true. Disney actually wants you to come and watch these movies, and I don't mean using some convoluted download mechanism. I mean just by going right to Disney.com, because much like you can do with other ABC shows like Lost, you can watch these movies for a full week after they air on the Saturday Night Wonderful World of Disney on ABC TV. And I don't mean tiny little small YouTube-like quality. I'm talking pretty much near DVD quality in large screen format right on your computer. Now, Finding Nemo isn't the only choice. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see exactly what the schedule is, but there'll be Monsters, Inc. from June 16th through the 20th, The Haunted Mansion from June 30th through July 4th, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, The Princess Diaries 2, Freaky Friday, and my personal favorite, Peter Pan. As I said, I'll put a link in this week's show notes right to the location on Disney.com where you can find these movies. Now, because I just have a few this week, yes, I am saving a couple of big ones for somewhere down the road, we're going to move right on into the Walt Disney World rumor mill. Over at Toy Story Mania, the very popular Toy Story Mania, that is, across the street from the attraction, walls are still up blocking guests' view of what is going to be a new studio cafe as well as a meet-and-greet area and merchandise shop. Now, rumors about this area include a meet-and-greet that's supposedly unlike anything you've seen in any of the other theme parks, and a quick-service restaurant that's going to offer selections beyond just burgers and chicken nuggets. One thing that many people have commented that they wish they could purchase in the way of merchandise would be the virtual prizes that you can win at the end of the game. I'll just say that sometimes dreams come true. Anyway, also at the studios, not only were the Star Wars Big Figs delayed until September, but those special ears that I spoke about and hinted about for some time were also not ready. From what I understand, they were not intended to be limited to just Star Wars weekends, and thus they will be out later on this year. Finally, and speaking of Star Wars weekends, the rumor is that next year will be the last for Star Wars Disney Big Figs due to some licensing and contractual issues. My guess, and this is totally a guess, would be that we'd probably see an Obi-Wan figure, and many people have already started to speculate about who or what else would be next. Uh, maybe a Donald as Boba Fett, 
Goofy as Chewbacca, Chippendale as Ewoks. Who knows? I'd love for you to go on the forums, post what maybe you'd like to see for a Star Wars big fig. But like I said, that's going to do it for just the rumors this week. If you have any rumors that you want to share, if you want to discuss any of these rumors or news items, please head on over to the WDW Radio Show forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. ago we had a roundtable discussion about planning for and making the most out of Star Wars weekends. Now having returned from three days spent in Disney's Hollywood Studios covering the first weekend of the four-part Star Wars weekend events throughout June, I wanted to do a, a review of the event with somebody else that was also there with me and actually somebody who was part of the original roundtable discussion. I wanted to look at the weekend sort of in context against what we discussed as we planned for it as well as get the opinion of somebody else who was attending. So I want to welcome back Glenn Whelan to the show. It's great to be here. All right, now, Glenn, I actually went, like I said, I went Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all three days at, at various times in order to experience different things. What day or days did you go to Star Wars weekends? I arrived at about 7 a.m. on Friday, on the first day of Star Wars weekends, and uh, I pretty much stayed throughout that entire first day. Okay, so you heeded your own advice about getting to the studios early. We talked about how crowded it, it could be or would be. Tell us about what it was like Friday morning when you got there at 7. Well, it was very crowded, uh, but I was there early enough that it was one of the early entrants, and uh, maybe it turns out that you have a lot of listeners who are all there because <laughs> they, uh, they heeded that advice as well. Um, I guess we'd have to judge whether or not that advice... Does uh, is important because I ended up standing in line from 7 a.m. to and I went right to merchandise to get the limited edition stuff and I ended up getting out of there around 11:30 in the morning. So I was there really early and got in that that line right away to get my merchandise and spent the entire morning on lines. Well, I went there Sunday morning first thing and I got there around 8 o'clock and. There already were long lines just for the character autographs. Actually, they had let those people in through the main gates, sort of lined up ready to start funneling them to the different uh, character autograph sections. But in the area right in front of where the gates were, it wasn't really too bad. Just as I got there, the line started to form, and I actually uh, positioned myself in, in a great spot so that I could catch the stormtroopers, which is what I really wanted to see that morning. I assume you right. had a chance to check those out as well? Yes, they were they were up and uh, up and running. What'd you think? That, that's one of the the highlights of the event is just seeing that because there's a there's a mix of wow you're there with stormtroopers, but they're also really funny. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I mean, it's a little show in and of itself, 
and it's uh, obviously it's pre-recorded, and there's two stormtroopers up there, but there are sound effects and music. And you're right, it's if you're a Star Wars fan, it's funny. If you're not, you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> what are you talking about? Pre-recorded? <laughs> I mean, it's live, and those are real stormtroopers, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, because they were threatening. But what I had found out was. Although the the crowds of people who were there for not autographs wasn't very big, some people had actually slept out the night before. Cast members had told me that Saturday night guests were already lining up to get there for first thing for Sunday morning. So that's, you know, it goes back to what we were saying, Glenn, that depending on what's important to you, getting there first thing, and we'll talk about the merchandise and stuff later on because, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't all that crowded. But if you wanted that autograph, that specific autograph, that's when he needed to get there. And that first weekend, it was Jeremy Bullock and Daniel Logan, who were uh, Boba Fett and young Boba Fett. In the morning, again, the lines were crazy. But as I walked by where they were by the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular later in the afternoon, the lines weren't very long at all. Right. Right. So how many of those people uh, were rushing to get there so early could have arrived later and uh, not have wait so long online? Yeah, and and that's what I found all three days being at the studios. Early in the morning was very, very crowded. But by late afternoon, especially, and we'll talk about merchandise now, the merchandise shop was, for all intents and purposes, empty. But you said you got there Friday morning and you waited two and a half hours online? Yep, yep. I was online the whole morning, Uh, you know, going through and eventually. I don't know how many of the limited edition things were still available later on in the day. Right. when it, when it wasn't so crowded, but in the morning, you know that the, everyone was in line for those limited edition stuff. Now you went over to Wicket's Warehouse, right? Wicket's Warehouse. Now the inter- which go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say the most exciting thing about going to Wicket's Warehouse was being inside one of the studios that uh, and you know from looking up and you look around and you see the windows that used to have the uh, overlook from the backstage tour and that was you know I'm taking pictures of that and uh, everyone else looks and he's taking pictures of the empty wall (laughs) I I thought the same thing how cool it was to be on one of the now empty sound stages but there I mean let's talk about the merchandise itself now the limited edition merchandise is really where the lines were because it was two lines you could get in line for The limited edition stuff, which was very long, and as you said, you were there for two and a half hours. If you didn't want that, there was the general area in the middle that had all the regular merchandise. Right. And it ranged for everything from shirts to hats to a lot of the toys and props that you could get all year round. Uh, One of the things I made sure I wanted to pick up were not the big figs, but the little figs. And those were the 995 figures that were also Anakin, Mickey, uh mini versions of the big figs and there was also a uh, stitch as Yoda so there was five of them right right so for my 50 bucks I got the same figures that uh, some people like now Eric Hollister for example he is like Mr. Big Fig Collector let's talk about the limited edition stuff and the big figs was one of the big draws and much of what I said about the the rumor that I heard last week actually came true the big figs were not there and they were not ready right so you actually had to go online to order them from the DisneyGallery.com, and uh, I ain't no Eric Hollister, um, but I did <laughs> order one myself. I just when I saw the the Darth Maul Donald, I was like, you know, that is just too cool. I know. I, I had thought about purchasing them because I thought the Maul Donald was cool. And I'm, not, I'm not a huge Donald fan, and I said, well, let me get them in for investment purposes, and I'll keep them and I'll <laughs> I'll hoard them away. 
But they were two hundred dollars each, um, and you ha- you, ha- you did have to pay for shipping. But Eric basically made a beeline out of Wicket's warehouse and had me and him on cell phones trying to reach people who could be in front of a computer because they are limited. There's only six hundred, and from what I understand from one of the cast members there, five hundred were allotted to Walt Disney World, while a hundred were allotted to be sold in Disneyland. So the thing that I'm curious about, Glenn, is what happens to the people who went out and bought them on Disney Gallery? Will they at some point say, sorry, we're not taking any more orders? Or will you get an email later on saying, sorry, you're not going to get a delivery in September because we've already sold out? Yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, mean, that seems to be the only place we could get it at this time. So maybe it's just limited online as well. Exactly. And they did have four prototypes there uh, that were not, from what I understand, actual replicas of what you'd get online because this year the figures all have something about them that lights up. Uh, Amidala's, the bottom of her dress lights up. I believe the all of the bases light up for Goofy and Mickey and Donald, and I know Mickey's lightsaber lights up, so they have that sort of added effect to them this year as well. Right. right. What of the limited edition merchandise was important for you to get, or what did you pick up when you were there? I'm, I've always been a watch collector, uh, so I did grab a couple, the, both of the limited edition watches, which was, one was the uh, the Darth Maul Donald, and the other was the Anakin Mickey. And really cool, nice box, uh, limited. And yeah, I picked up one of each, and I'll never wear them. Uh, <laughs> but they're they're gonna, I'll find them again in three years when I'm looking through my stuff, going, oh, check this out. Right. And there was, there was a variety of merchandise that really ranged in price. Of course, there were pins, there were logo pins, there were jumbo pins, sets of four and six pins. There's also a framed pin set that was about $275. They also had collector's coins in nickel, copper, and bronze, as well as, again, a framed set. They had the little sort of hologram logo crystals. They had laser cells of uh, Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, and Stormtrooper Child. And they had two other items that were really sort of the buzz people were talking about. And one of them was an R2-D2 DVD projector. Right, it right. was a full-blown, you know, high-def movie projector that they were demoing in, in a sort of a, a small room off to the side. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it, in addition to being a DVD player, it was also multimedia. It had flashcard uh, slots, etc., that you could plug in stuff. So you could have a slideshow showing on the on the wall. And the R2 would roll around. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this was how they all were, but it was pretty impressive. Most impressive. Yes. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I promise that'll be the last one. <laughs> but, and the other thing that was impressive about it, too, was the price tag at the low, low price of $3,200. Yes, right. So I was wondering how many people were walking out with their R2-D2 projector. I was either going to get that or one of the limited edition pins. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> went with the pin. But they had something else that was cool. And I know a lot of people were sort of like, well, you know, this one I could almost maybe get. It was an R2-D2 webcam, and he was maybe... 15, 20 inches tall, and he had a remote control, and it was a, a real webcam that you could attach to your computer. And I think for people like me, sanity yeah. set in at some point and be like, what am I going to do with this thing once I get it home? <laughs> but that was about $360. But again, the, the coolness, you know, geek factor was there, definitely there. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, I don't think those are limited, and I, I think they weren't part of, I think they're, you know, you could probably find those online to this day. I think they, be, what, I, did you, do you know any different? No, I, I believe that's still going to be available, just like a lot of the items are going to be available after right. Star Wars weekends are over. 
Right. The only thing that I did see that I know for a fact it sold out, and I, geek boy that I am, went to basically every merchandise location I could find, were the <laughs> Muppets Star Wars figures. They sold right. out at Tatooine Traders in under an hour. First thing in the morning. Yeah, yeah I, I saw them there in the morning, not realizing uh, how quickly they would go, and uh, did not pick them up, so now I regret that. Um but there was one other thing I was looking for that wasn't available yet, which sort of uh, didn't work for me because I wanted to get the the uh, Star Tours droids set. And that wasn't there because I saw that on Saturday and Sunday. It wasn't there on Friday. It wasn't there on Friday. So I asked, I actually asked somebody and he goes, yeah, we don't have them in yet. So well, I wish I would have known. I would have picked them up for yeah. you. Um, listeners, if you want to email Glenn and pick up the Star Wars droid figures. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and, again, if, if you're going back next week or this week or whenever it might be for any of the other Star Wars weekends, from what I understand, they will be getting additional shipments of things like the Muppets and some of the things that were not in stock as of yet. But, Glenn, that main merchandise area and even Tatooine Traders um, had a, a plethora of stuff. I mean, there was really no chance of most of the other stuff selling out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about another aspect. Oh, you know, one thing real quick about Wicked's Warehouse that, that may have even affected the lines. It was very much tucked out of the way. And unless you kind of knew where you were going, because of the walls up by Toy Story Mania and that configuration of Pixar Place, I think a lot of people probably walked by it and didn't even know it was there. I agree. If, they didn't, if you didn't see the line out there, you'd actually have to look to even see the cast member trying to wave you in because it was... There were their walls blocking it almost to a point of uh, obscuring them totally. You literally looked like you were walking into a backstage area in order to get access right. there. Right. So that'll obviously change, you know, in future years as the um, as Toy Story opens up and that area is opened up. But let's talk right. about another element, and this is something that I found that I really, really enjoyed because most of my time at the studios wasn't spent trying to run from place to place or get this or get that was really just enjoying the ambiance of the park. And the way it was divided up, which I think was done very well, was everything sort of on the west side of the park was dedicated to Star Wars Weekend. So if you were by the Animation Courtyard or if you were down Sunset Boulevard, you really didn't even know that Star Wars Weekends was going on. But everywhere else, there was Star Wars music everywhere in the background. And Mm -hmm. one of the best parts was the characters. Right, right. Roaming around everywhere, yeah. And again, these weren't just cast members dressed as characters. There was the 501st, and that's basically a legion of fans who create their own costumes and get dressed up and do these events and charity-type events for free. And again, it's called the 501st. That's where the stormtroopers come from with, you want to talk about very, very realistic costumes. Yes. (laughs) But there were Jawas, of which I am taller than, Sand People, uh... Stormtroopers, clone troopers, Chewbacca was there, an awesome Darth Maul, um, a a very, very realistic Darth Vader who had his own sort of meet and greet area uh, off to the side by the the back lot, Uh, Boba Fett, Jango Fett, Gamorrean guards are walking around, interacting with, and that's what I like, they were how they were interacting and playing with all the guests. Exactly. Yeah, I saw a great thing when a, a Vader was walking up to a young child who had a little lightsaber. And he reached out and grabbed the little kid's lightsaber and closed it up, forced it closed, and handed it back to the kid and turned and walked away. And everyone laughed because, you know, it was obviously the little kid was a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all the characters really, really got into it. And so did the 
and not only just the kids, but the adults did as well. And you saw how much fun they were having playing with Darth Vader and Boba Fett and even, you know, um, some of the other, like the Cantina band walking around as well. Right, the Cantina band. Uh, one of the things that made it so cool is some of the some of these characters had a um, a little set that they would operate in front of, and like the Darth Maul was is walking back and forth in front of uh, a a photo of the the laser gate that uh, he he paces in front of in the Phantom Menace movie, and it really made for great photographs. And there was a lot of places like that. And the other thing cool that they did was they sort of divided that half of the park into the Alliance side and the Empire side. So if you were looking for good guys, as it were, you'd, you'd find them in one sort of area. If you were looking for the bad guys, they'd be somewhere else. And another character, there were some obscure characters as well. There were ple- people like Zam Weasel. Um, there was Aura Singh, who's a, a very tall uh, Boy, I'm going to sound like a geek. Very good looking. <laughs> uh, bad. And the new character they're going to be introducing in the Clone Wars, who was awesome, who was uh, Ahsoka Tano. Right. I think she's like a teenager. Oh, um, well, now I feel really awkward. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I think she's supposed to be uh, a Padawan to Anakin. Absolutely. Now, did you stop and take pictures or anything like that with the characters? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yes, it's okay. I you took, can say yes. That's fine. Yes, I took. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I'm not in any photos with them. I took photographs of um, strangers with them. So, right. So I might have a picture of somebody listening. And when you say strangers, you don't mean strange people. You mean just other guests with the other with guests. <laughs> <laughs> and in some cases, they were strange too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually took a, a ton of photos. I put about eighty to a hundred up on the site and yes I'm actually in some of them again me with the Jawa just proving that I am taller um, <laughs> I'll put a link in this week's show notes where you can go and check those out but you're right there were a lot of guests who were very very much into it and I don't mean the mother dressing her baby as Yoda and the kids dressed up as Jedi I mean full blown adults in you know the Jedi robes and, yeah. and whatnot. Yep. I actually had a chance to speak with a couple of the people who were there for the weekend and who also had put together some of these costumes. And I'm going to play that during this segment so you can get a chance to understand why they came down and why they get dressed up and what they feel about Star Wars weekends. But there was one other element, too, and that were the Disney characters who were dressed for Star Wars. And again, they, too, had their own meet and greet areas as well. Right, right. And uh, going along with your theory about the west side being devoted to Star Wars and the east side uh, being the regular studios, I believe that the Disney characters in the Star Wars uniforms were halfway between the two. Yeah, they were right by the end where the ABC Studio Commissary is, so sort of that that split point right there. Yeah. And there was uh, Leia Minnie, Darth Goofy, and Stormtrooper Donald who were there together. And every so often you'd see Jedi Mickey coming out on his own. Right. They look really cool. <laughs> yeah. And the lines for those um, got to be very long very, very quickly. Absolutely. Correct. But the interesting thing that I saw, too, the dynamic that I saw was people going up to some of these guests who were dressed up because some of their costumes were so good, they didn't realize that these people were just fans like them and not actually <laughs> cast members. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so one other element that uh, I know we both experienced were some of the different events that were going on. And this year there were two shows, both of which took place at the new Premier Theater, as it's being called, which is the old 
Hunchback stage, which is now enclosed, and I think, Glenn, you and I both agree, is really, really a nice venue. Very nice and very air-conditioned, which was a <laughs> <Very> great, <laughs> great upgrade for that theater. So there were two shows that took place at various times in that theater, and the first was the Stars of the Sh- Saga... St- say that three times fast. Stars of the Saga show, and that was kind of a talk show set uh, that had that weekend's celebrities up on stage along with Warwick Davis. Right, Warwick Davis, who um, played Wicket, one of the Ewoks, and he's become sort of the face of Star Wars Weekends. He seems to be there every year now, and he uh, acts as a host. What did you think of the show? What did you think of the sort of the talk show style set? I thought it was set? great. I thought it was, it was really nice because, uh, you know, we had the two Boba Fetts out there. One Each one was introduced, and they came out, had about 10 minutes of time of interview with them. They had a lot of um, footage of... Uh, behind-the-scenes footage of of the two of them while they're making the films, played on the screens. It was really, cr- really clever. The part of the show that really I like the best, and this is why I need to get there early, is sort of the pre-show that takes place on the, in the seating area with the number of stormtroopers that interact with each other. They also play a number of old clips from old yes. TV shows like Donnie and Marie, and that's what I thought was really, really funny. Yeah, it was, it was just brilliant. It was uh, very, very humorous. Uh, and it played up to every no, no matter how much you know Star Wars you there were jokes for the the make the uber geeks and then there were jokes that were just for anybody who could just who would just be there true and the other thing that I was really excited about going to see and I was not disappointed was the behind the force clone wars preview the clone wars is a new full length animated feature that's coming out this August right yeah computer generated uh so it's it has an interesting, very interesting look to it, um, and it's exciting to see anything Star Wars returning to theaters. Yeah, and in addition to the sneak preview clip that we got to see, there were a lot, there were many more elements to it that I really enjoyed and I wasn't expecting. So, for example, there was a Q&A with a representative from Lucasfilms, Ahsoka Tano, who is an integral part of the new Clone Wars, comes out. She gives a brief demonstration of using her lightsaber. Again, very, very impressive. Right. Um, right. And Warwick Davis hosts the show either on screen or for the 3 p.m. show is actually there live. Right. Yeah, he goes he introduces everything once again. He seems to be the voice of uh, Star Wars Weekends right now or the face of Star Wars Weekends. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that I was so much surprised about, too, Glenn, is that the theater never filled up. I mean, any of the times I went to go see it, the theater probably had maybe a fifth or a quarter of the seats empty. And I don't know. Yeah, and, and that that stars of the saga thing with the, with the celebrity talk show only happens once, uh, once a day. So, uh, and the fact that that wasn't so filled up was like, wow. That you know, people just don't. I guess they don't know what this is, or they they're they're all still in line for limited edition merchandise or something at that time. Well, that's the thing. Now, let's just take a second because we talked about the crowds, and, and when we talked about getting ready for Star Wars weekends. We kept emphasizing the crowds and getting there early to be able to do stuff. Were you surprised by the crowds or how they were spread out or sort of what they were throughout the day? I was surprised at how quickly the crowds dissipated. So by 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, it was almost as if there was nothing left of Star Wars weekends as far as crowds. And again, you know, maybe because this is maybe the most popular of weekends or maybe because places like Toy Story Mania did help sort of siphon some of the crowds out there. I'm really not sure exactly what it was, or maybe some people just come in, get their merchandise, or get their autographs, and then leave. But there were two other things 
that were going on that I unfortunately didn't get to see. First was the Celebrity Motorcade. I unfortunately was in a meeting, but outside, and I felt bad because I was very distracted trying to catch a glimpse of what was going on. And I also didn't get a chance to see the Hyperspace Hoopla, which is sort of the, closes out the, the, the day. Tell us about what that was. Well, the uh, Star Wars Motorcade is pretty much is every Star Wars character that you're seeing throughout the day. They're all presented in there. The 501st comes marching by. Uh, they have a bunch of Padawan learners, a bunch of the um, youngins that participated in the uh, Jedi training thing. They will all walk down with their parents walking behind them. And then you see the Disney uh, Jedis, um, you know, uh, Donald and, and Goofy and Mickey and Minnie in their Star Wars wear. And then each one of the characters, one by one, comes by. And it's pretty much just a, a motorcade to introduce those uh, the special guests, which are the Warwick Davis, uh, Daniel Logan, and Jeremy um, Bullock for, for that week. That, that was pretty much it pretty much is a motorcade done to Star Wars music. It's still pretty exciting to see all that. But the hoopla sort of ends ends the day and it's over at the main stage, which is right next to Star Tours there, and includes a very a very funny uh, dance off. <laughs> There's a dance off between Star Wars characters and I, I you know, I can't I don't want to spoil it, but it is very, very funny, and it is surprising what happens in it. So, <laughs> Now, I, I know for me, like I said, most of my time was spent walking around and taking pictures and talking to people. Um, there's actually a couple of things, too, that when you go, I thought were pretty neat that they gave out. In addition to the special edition map, they also had this Bounty Hunter's Guide to Star Wars Weekends, a very high-gloss uh, fold-out thing, which is almost sort of like a guide to all the characters that you can meet, as well as all the celebrities that are going to be there. So if you're sort of looking for photos, you're looking for autographs, you can kind of check them off this list. But it's a, it's a neat little sort of free collectible that you could take home, too. Right. Yeah, I was very impressed by it, because when they handed it to me, I was like, oh, this is an interesting map. And then they handed me the map, too, and I was like, wow, it's like a collectible. Yeah, now what, for you, do you think was your favorite part of Star Wars Weekend? I guess I would have to say my my favorite uh, thing was was the two shows in the in that backlot theater. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It really felt like exclusive. It felt like something that's only going to happen right now. And I was impressed at the commitment to that to this event. Like, wow, this is something that's only here for this for a few weekends. And how big they've made this event. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, we talk all the time about going down to Disney, and it's not about riding rides. And specifically for me this weekend, it was not about that at all. It wasn't trying to right. get on Toy Story Mania. It was watching the people interact and watching the kids and watching the adults and talking to some of the guests. I really enjoyed kind of stopping and talking to people who were either in costume or in line as to why they were down there, what they were looking to get out of it. What I'm going to do, Glenn, now is just play a couple of very short interviews, I guess, that I did with some people who were down there, uh, just because I thought it was interesting to kind of get some different dynamics and, and why people were down and what they got out of it. Awesome. How you doing? What's your name? Kyle. Kyle, where are you from? Um, Erie, Michigan. Drive or fly? Did you drive or fly? Fly. Smart move. Smart. That's a long drive from Michigan. So you're coming down here for Star Wars weekends? Um, one of the reasons I'm coming down here. Are you a Star Wars fan? Yeah, very big Star Wars fan. What are you looking forward to doing? Are you looking forward to see characters or do Star Tours? 
Um, pretty much everything. I'm looking forward to seeing characters a lot. And I'm looking forward to buying the lightsaber here. Absolutely. you got to go back to Wicket's Warehouse. They've got cool, cool lightsabers. <laughs> or make your dad spring for the big Force Effects one, the Tatooine Traders. That's the one that I have. That's the cool one. Yeah, that would be really cool. Who, who is your favorite character? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's my favorite. I'm with you. We're, we're one for one. That's my favorite. Have you ever been on Star Tours? Um, yeah, I've been on Star Tours before. It's really cool. You gonna go do Jedi Training Academy? Um, probably. You gotta do it. I've always wanted to, and I'm too old. So. <laughs> cool. Well, listen. Have a great time. Okay. So I'm here with, at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and I'm standing with Jen, who is a guest, but is definitely dressed for the occasion. Jen, where are you from? I'm from Georgia drive down just for Star Wars weekends? I know, I'm actually here for a couple months right now. Very nice, excellent. And now, tell us who you're dressed as. I'm dressed as Padme from the second movie. Awesome, very authentic costume. I assume that you're a huge Star Wars fan? Uh, Just a little bit of it. Uh, My (laughs) friends are actually huge Star Wars fans and started to get me into it. So I saw the movies for the first time about three years ago and really enjoyed them. And now I'm studying them with film classes and everything. Wow, serious Star Wars student. (laughs) That's like a taking geekdom to the whole next level yeah. when you're actually studying it. Is this your first Star Wars weekend? No, I was here last year dressed up as Leia. Wow, very cool. What, what's your favorite part? What keeps bringing you back to Star Wars weekends? Um, just to be able to see all the cool characters that come out and everything. And it's just a whole different world when you come down here. It's not Hollywood Studios. You're battling the Siths on one side and you're with the good guys on the other side with the Jedi. And it's just awesome. So you get here first thing in the morning and see the stormtroopers and pretty much spend the whole day here? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we've been here since about 8 a.m. So just waiting outside one of the first people here in line. Did you do anything with the merch? Did you get any like special edition merchandise or character autographs? or? Uh, not yet. We're just basically taking some pictures, wandering around, and I'm going to be coming around a couple more weekends to see it. Awesome. What do you think about the whole marriage between Disney and Star Wars and kind of how they have this this whole month of June for Star Wars weekends? I think it's awesome. They need to do this for more movies. I'd be down here if they had like a Lord of the Rings weekend. I'd be down here going around as an elf or something. <laughs> have you seen any of the special events that they have, whether it's the Clone Wars preview or any of the other things? I haven't had a chance to go around and look at it yet. So far, I've just met up with Darth Vader and Amidala, and right now I'm actually waiting for Princess Leia Mini, Darth Goofy, and Stormtrooper Donald to come out so that way I can meet up with them because they're brand new this year. And that's the cool thing about the weekends is that you don't have to feel like you have to run to event to event. There's just so much to do sort of wandering around the parks. Yeah, and it takes place over three days. So if you miss something one day, you come in the next day and the next day. I've got a friend who's coming in next week and she's spending all three days here. And then one of the coolest things I think about coming in here is you can dress in costume and you don't get in trouble with it because the adults normally you can't get around dressing in costume. And here I am walking around as Padme. And as long as I say I am a guest, then I have no problems taking pictures with people. Cool, yeah. Like I said, your costume is uh, its excellent, very, very authentic, and people could uh, very easily mistake you for one of the cast. I've actually already, I took a picture. Uh, I think Obi-Wan's coming out over there. I'm not sure. But I was taking a picture, and I heard some guests walking by. Is she a real cast member, or is she just a guest? And they had to ask me if I was a guest or not doing it. And last year, I actually had some people mistake me for the real Leia. I can definitely see the resemblance. All right, now tell me, since you've been here before and you're coming back for three more weekends, if there was one thing that you could think that they could sort of bring to Star Wars weekends or add to Star Wars weekends, what would it be? Oh, gosh. 
think just other than Harrison Ford and yeah, <laughs> other than the main uh, guys coming in, total takeover of the park. Just one weekend. I know that would be a lot to ask, but you know what? Let's retheme Indiana Jones for a bit. Maybe go down there and do like a little bit, put up some fake sets or something, and have some more shows there going on. Maybe move High School Musical off to the back. <laughs> And they're already doing a great job spreading, uh, keeping it more into the parks. Uh, each year it seems to get bigger and bigger. Definitely. And there's been rumors for a long, long time, as I'm sure you know, about Star Tours going down, being rethemed. If you, you know, imagine here for a day and you can redo Star Tours, what would you make it? It definitely wouldn't be episode one. <laughs> it would probably be with episode three. Something when they're battling out there, uh, Anakin versus Obi-Wan Kenobi. That would be awesome to go flying through and see that happening. Well, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and the rest of June, I should say. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day here and definitely get to check out everything. Absolutely. And, of course, I have to say may the Force be with you. (laughs) May the Force be with you, definitely. So as I'm continuing to walk through Disney's Hollywood studios and finding people dressed like Jedis and Sith, I also happened to be online for the stars of the Saga Show and came up with to a couple that had their Just Married buttons on. What's your guys' names and where are you from? Rylan. And Morgan. Shaler. And where are you guys from? Uh, we're from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada, so right in the middle of the country. <laughs> wow, far ways to come. Now, we were talking a little bit when we were online, and I said, you know, did you guys get married down here? Are you down on your honeymoon? And you said you're down on your honeymoon, and I was asking about, if, first of all, I said, how did your husband convince you to come down here for your honeymoon? But tell us, you didn't even know he was a Star Wars fan. Well, when we were dating, I guess I had slipped in the fact that I wasn't too interested in sci-fi movies. I was a more of a comedy person, and I think he took that quite literally, and he didn't tell me until his mom presented. What was the gift that your mom gave you? It was a huge uh, C-3PO Pez dispenser. <laughs> and that's when I found out that, you know, he was into Star Wars, so... And this is on your wedding day. Yeah. 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 See, now I just have to figure out a way to get in the Jedi Training Academy thing <laughs> yeah, now. I've been trying for years. I'm short. They still don't buy it. But I, you know what? You, you've got the perfect wife. She's a Disney fan. She's a yeah. Star Wars fan. You guys are down here for your honeymoon. Yeah, that's right. And what's your favorite part of, of the event so far? Uh, just all the characters coming out and all the costu- full costumes and everything. I'm looking forward to next weekend when David Prowse is here. Now, as a Disney fan, what do you think about the whole kind of marriage of the Disney and Star Wars franchises? Oh, well, I'm, I think it's wonderful because, like, for me, I'm not, like, I'm not too familiar with Star Wars. I keep asking questions, but it's, it's kind of nice to see my husband get into it and become, like, a kid again, and for me, too, because that's what it's all about, right? It's kind of releasing your inner child because, you know, that's, that's the greatest thing about Disney, and especially, I guess, with Star Wars, too, right? It's following in that way. Absolutely, that's exactly how I feel, and I think that's why you know we get the kind of crowds we do for these kind of weekends. So, yeah. well, congratulations to you guys. Thank Enjoy you. the rest, rest of your weekend. Thank I, you. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Now, in the future, Glenn, is there something or somebody that you'd like to see maybe added to, or how maybe they can sort of plus Star Wars weekends in the future? Wow, uh, it's difficult to say. Um, you know, because Star Wars weekends will, I think, is going to continue to change as. Star Wars becomes more and more mythic, um, more part of movie lore. You know, it's gonna it's gonna become more and more classic. I think it's gonna be more of the major characters that are going to live on. Um, and it's of course, could they ever get a Harrison Ford to come to Star Wars weekends? 
you know, you could only ho- you could only hope. Now, one of the things we didn't that, touch on that was pretty geeky, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but that's okay because I think it's, it just fits in <laughs> with the theme of what we're talking about. Did you get a chance to ride Star Tours during Star Wars weekends? No, it had a you know for, for the first time in in like five or six years, it had like an hour wait to get on Star Tours, and I knew they hadn't changed it. So uh, um, I also noticed that the line to buy the make your own lightsabers was well out the door, and, and that's something you can do all year round, you know. <laughs> True, but a lot of people I think come down specifically for this, just based on the conversations right. I was having. But speaking of Star Tours, we talked about the rumored update and the possible Star Tours 2.0, or call it what you wish. If it was up to you, if, Glenn, you're the head of Imagineering one day, you have unlimited budget, what would you like to see the new update consist of? Or what part of the Star Wars story would you like to see told in the, in the new Star Tours? Well, I think it would be great if if they could somehow um, make it uh, like almost have two versions available. Because I think there will always be space for that old version. Um, you know, maybe that one is tied to the old trilogy. Maybe there's something from the new trilogy. You know, for uh, in the other half, like you could take your, you could still go to the moon of Endor, or you could go to Kashyyyk and and fly around with uh, Wookies or something like that. Okay, now you sound like a geek. Now that, that actually... <laughs> <laughs> I think for me. Again, money, technology being no object. You know, we have things like Toy Story Mania, which, as I'm sure you saw this weekend, was incredibly popular, waits Mm -hmm. 120, 150 minutes. The interactive element that's brought in with that attraction, to have that with Star Wars and Star Mm -hmm. Tour somehow would be great. And you want to talk about bringing it to a whole new level. Um, I'm a classic trilogy kind of guy. That's not to say I don't like the new trilogy. But if you could pilot a ship or if you could do something with... Uh, you know, being a Jedi and wielding a lightsaber with some sort of a, a Wii-type controller. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that would really just blow people away. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, now I sound like a geek, so it's official. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, the the marriage of Disney and Star Wars and the two franchises, I mean, for guys like us and adults and kids, you saw it this weekend, is really just such a great thing. And this is something that I hope continues on f- for many, many years to come. Absolutely. I look forward to it every year. Well, Glenn, what I'm going to do is, again, I'm going to put a link in this week's show notes to the pictures that I took this week. I also took some audio from a variety of different events. So if you don't get a chance maybe to get down there, you want to hear sort of what went on maybe during the Clone Wars or the Stars of the Saga, I did take audio. I'll get that up um, in the next day or so. But, Glenn, thanks very much. It was, it was great to hang out with you a little bit on Friday during Star Wars weekends, and um, I'm sure I'll see you again down there next year. Absolutely, Lou. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.
An important part of what so many of us do is being able to give back and help others that truly may need it most. And you may not realize that Walt Disney World does it as well through a variety of outreach efforts. And I'm joined today by Eugene Campbell. He is the Vice President of Community Relations and Minority Business Development to talk about some of the ways that Disney is helping people close to home. Mr. Campbell, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you, Lou. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, starting off as, as I was thinking about this, this really goes back, you know, Disney's efforts go, goes back really to, to Walt Disney himself because he was concerned when he came to Florida, not just about the environmental impact of what building Walt Disney World would bring, but really the people and the surrounding communities. And it seems that really continues to this day. That, that, that is very true. Uh, our, our founder certainly, you know, had a, a spirit of giving and a spirit of caring from the very beginning, um, and that has continued forward. Uh, as you see, you know, how the property has grown, so too has our community. And as a result, you know, the support for our community has grown and also some of the demands from that community has grown. So we try to be very focused on how we are uh, supporting, um, in particular in our area of focus, children who are in need because we recognize that it's, you know, very difficult for any company, quite honestly, to do everything. Um, So the way that we can make, we believe, the biggest impact is by having a fairly narrow focus, and that is on children and families in need. And really, Disney's able to give back not just through financial contributions, but through a variety of other efforts as well, like the volunteer program. That, that is correct. We, last year in 2007, gave $33 million in cash and in-kind support um, to our community. Um, in addition to that, we also contributed over 190,000 hours of volunteer time. So when you think of, you know, things such as skill-based volunteerism and pro bono work, you know, that is a hefty uh, amount of hours that our cast members contribute, you know, to our community to make it a better place for everybody to live quite honestly, to live, work, and play. So some of the, the financial contributions, obviously, are talking, you know, an incredible amount of money. Can you give us an idea of some of the recipients of, of how that money is distributed? We, it, it, uh, it is, wow, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of different recipients. Um, you know, last year was a, uh, uh, a very special year, unique year, quite honestly, where a number of uh, key opportunities just coincidentally sort of, you know, came uh, came into conclusion around the same time. Um, one big recipient is the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center, where we made a, a various generous contribution, um, and also to the Florida Children's Hospital uh, in partnership with Florida Hospital. Um, but just recently, uh, we also granted to 44 organizations of all different types and sizes, a total of about $700,000. And these are through our Disney Helping Kids Shine Grants program, where they are focused on, you know, helping children who are in need around four developmental assets, uh, compassion, character development, constructive use of free time, and meaningful interaction between children and adults. So these various organizations, and there were a total of about close to 200 organizations who actually applied for the dollars, um, and a committee of cast members and also community leaders were the ones who judged, judged those applications and determine, 
you know, how much and to whom should receive those dollars. So it, it is a lot. There are a lot of organizations that hopefully uh, receive the, the benefit of, Di- of Disney's contributions. Right. And like I said, speaking about children, I know Disney also works very closely with the Boys and Girls Club. That is absolutely correct. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, grand reopening of the Walt Disney World Boys and Girls Club branch in Pine Hills, a uh, community that's a little bit uh, to the north of us, but a community that uh, is home for very many of our cast members. And uh, we were able, in partnership with the Boys and Girls Club and some other local community organizations, to uh, build a brand new facility, state-of-the-art facility that will bring about a focus on entertainment and the arts, um, and at the same time, but most importantly, I think, uh, enable that organization, quite honestly, to double at that branch, to double the number of children that are served from that community. So they now will be able to serve close to 350 children a day at that facility from, you know, their previous roughly about 150 or so. Um, So we're really proud about that because that's really where we think um, we can make the biggest impact in this particular instance to give some children some healthy and safe options, um, you know, in terms of how to use their time and how to, to, you know, cultivate all their possibilities in the best way possible. Yeah, that's wonderful, and I I definitely appreciate your efforts there. But you do something else, too, that for me has a very uh, personal meaning because um, it's very close to my heart because of my own personal fundraising efforts through my Dream Team project, and that is through the granting of wish trips for children as well. Can you tell us more about that program and a little bit? That is a very significant part of, uh, of obviously, our compassion and compassion giving um, to children who are dealing with life-threatening illnesses. Um, we receive, oh, my gosh, probably uh, 200, 300 um, various requests a week, each week, um, of children from not only here in the United States, from all over the world, um, who are, you know, being challenged with various conditions and, you know, their wish for them and their families are to, you know, come and meet Mickey and come and spend a moment in the Magic Kingdom. And, and, uh, you know, we work very closely with the various wish granting organizations, many of which you're probably familiar with, such as Make-A-Wish and Starlight Starbright Foundation and, and numerous others, um, who make the determination in terms of which children will receive those uh, those grants, those wish granting opportunities, and then you know here we help you know along with many other folks within the community you know on the fulfillment side to make sure that the experience is as seamless and as magical as possible. Um, last year in 2007, we in, in the Magic Kingdom we opened a wish lounge, and hopefully you'll have a chance to visit that if you haven't already. But it gives those children while they're in the midst with their families of visiting, for example, the Magic Kingdom to sort of take a break, take a pause from, you know, having a fantastic time and, you know, have a quiet, you know, comfortable place to maybe to rest for a moment or to, you know, do whatever they need to do to recharge their batteries and continue to enjoy the magic. Yeah, I haven't had occasion yet to work with any of the families individually that we've been able to help. But spending so much time in the park, I've seen children who have the Make-A-Wish button. I've seen the families come in. And you talk about experiencing Disney through the eyes of a child or or taking your children for the first time. But when you see sometimes the faces of the kids that come in for that brief moment, they seem to forget about whatever may have been ailing them before that. That 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 is so true. It uh, it is very touching, um, and you know I think that everybody wishes that uh, we could accommodate. Um, 
We have probably two wishes, quite honestly. One, that we could accommodate every child and every family who has that particular wish. And quite honestly, another wish ultimately would be that we would never have to do this. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that will come to reality. So, you know, we're, we're very proud that, you know, just in 2007, we were able to accommodate over 6,000 wishes um, to wish families who came and visited the Walt Disney World property. Um, and, you know, we it is such an active and significant part of what we do here within the company. Um, and it takes a strong team. It takes a lot of collaboration, but, you know, we're really, you know, happy to, you know, open, open our doors to those kids because you're absolutely right. Lou, it does, you know, for a moment in time, sort of suspend the reality that they're dealing with and allow them to escape and, and just have a, have a moment of joy in their life. And it's really a testament to the cast members, and I've just said it countless times, that that's, they are really what make this place, they give it the magic that we talk about. And another way that cast members are able to sort of go above and beyond just their daily role is with the volunteers program. We touched on it briefly. Can you tell us a little about that program and maybe some of the different outreach efforts that it takes? You're so knowledgeable about our business. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to a cast member. Um, yeah, honorary <laughs> cast member. Our, our, our Disney Volunteers Program is, uh, you know, another longstanding tradition of the company. Um, we basically uh, ha- are, are in the midst of celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Disney Volunteers Program. Um, and over, you know, the course of the 25 years, the Walt Disney Company has, you know, volunteered and contributed in excess of 5 million hours um, of service um, to communities all over the globe. Um each of our uh, Disney sites across the world are celebrating in, in different forms and in different fashions. Um, we are very proud that we just received from the Points of Light Institute the um, award for workplace volunteer programs. Um, so that's a very prestigious award that we're really proud of because it acknowledges, I think, you know, how we can harness the 137,000 cast members and employees and crew of the entire Walt Disney Company company to really give back to the communities in which they live, work, and play and make it a meaningful, constructive impact in those areas, not only here in Central Florida where I'm at and and the 62,000 people that are here at Walt Disney World, but quite honestly all over the globe where Disney has a presence. So we're really proud of that program and quite honestly very excited about what the next 25 years hold in front of us. And I never really realized the extent and the breadth of what the cast members do and sort of the different disciplines. And just by way of examples, they can work with Habitat from, for Humanity. If they want to paint, they've done murals. They uh, work at the Beta Center, which assists uh, resident teenage mothers. They do simple the simplest things from reading to children to working for the Coalition for the Homeless. Um, It even goes so far as to not just helping with time and efforts, but there's also been donations as far as food is concerned to to needy families as well. That is is very true. We have a great relationship with Second Harvest. Second Harvest is a national food banking organization, um, and they have a strong and, and great affiliate here in the Central Florida community, and we provide hundreds of thousands of pounds of food um, to the second harvest of Central Florida to, you know, help deliver um, sustenance to, uh, you know, community folk who are in need. Uh, We're really pleased about that. We also support 
uh, servings uh, several times a month at the Coalition for the Homeless, where our culinary staff, our chefs, our executive chefs, our sous chefs and pastry chefs go out and they prepare meals at the Coalition um, and service, you know, the, 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 the residents at that particular facility and the clients at that particular facility. And, you know, and, and you know, it is, you know, um, very great experience when you can go and many of us many of us go with our, our our own families you know on occasion you know we'll take our children and they'll be standing side by side with us and and serving those individuals so that they also understand you know the importance of 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 service to others and and being thankful for the things that you have but also you know being a good steward and being a servant to other people who might need some additional assistance and not even just the people. And I say it half jokingly that you know we as humans aren't the only ones that sort of benefit by your efforts. It's uh, Disney does a lot to work for and conserve and protect the environment and the animals in this area as well too. That that is very true. We uh, have a very strong environmental initiatives organization um, that has uh, uh, recently launched the. Disney Worldwide Conservation Fund, um, or rebranded the Worldwide Conservation Fund, um, and you know they have such great relationships with many organizations um, throughout the world. You know, I think of how we support. Um, over on the coastline, the Atlantic coast of Florida, we go out and we do a Florida uh, coastal cleanup, where we have uh, crew members from our Disney Cruise Line operation and from our Disney Vacation Club operation, and and those of us here at Walt Disney World, we all convene and we pick an entire stretch of of coastline and make it as pristine as possible, because obviously that has a direct impact not only in the enjoyment factor for us as humans, but then also on the sort of livelihood of the you know marine life and sea life and 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 and, and you know birds who you know that's their home, that's their habitat and. We, we need to treasure and cherish that as, cl- as carefully as possible. Again, it, it all goes back to the cast members. And, and really, it can be a cast member from any sort of area of the park, whether it be custodial or housekeeping or a cashier or an executive. Anybody who wants to volunteer for any of these programs can. That, that's absolutely right. Uh, we're all cast members, first and foremost. And, you know, we all, when we go out on these projects, we all wear our Disney volunteers shirt. And, and uh, you know, we're all, you know, on the same plane. And, and we all are, you know, united by that one common goal of, of hopefully, you know, being great citizens within our community, united under the Disney banner. And again, this is a tradition that goes back really to the 1930s when Walt animators used to take time and go across the street to the children's hospital and donate their time. And now what the Walt Disney Company, specifically here at Walt Disney World, has done to expand those efforts exponentially is truly something special. That's very true. Walt was, uh, a lot of people don't realize, Walt was one of the uh, early honorary board members of the Boys and Girls Club. Um, And he also had a very significant passion for Toys for Tots. Um, That's an an initiative that we still, to this very day, uh, continue to support in a pretty significant fashion, uh, making sure that we deliver, you know, holiday cheer and, 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 and joy to, you know, children in our community here in Central Florida uh, by, you know, uh, making contributions of toys and, and all types of other product. And even during this, uh, prior to the school year, we have a great back-to-school drive, and we are the one of the largest, if not the largest, contributor um, of various back-to-school supplies to children in Central Florida to make sure that for them, they're starting off the year not in a deficit uh, by not having 
the adequate tools necessary to succeed and to learn. We we want to try to take that element away from all of the children here in Central Florida. So we've been uh, very proud of that program and the giving of our cast members. You're absolutely right. It all goes back to the cast member. And again, it's not just Disney doing this on their own, but it really is about the combined efforts of the entire community to really ensure the safety and the well-being of everybody around the area um, and sort of helping to make those dreams come true. Very true. We, we, we think of it as, you know, this is just our way to play our small part um, into a much larger equation of, you know, other individuals who, you know, feel the same way and have some of the same values and principles in terms of, you know, caring for the community in which, you know, has, that has done so much for us and so much for our business. I mean, since the very beginning of Walt Disney World in 1971, I mean, if it were not for the support that our community has, you know, provided to our company, we certainly would not be where we are today. And we take that very carefully and very seriously to, you know, once again, be, you know, great stewards of, of giving back and, and supporting, you know, where needed. Right. And for more information, people can go and visit the website. That's www.publicaffairs.com. Correct. All right. Eugene Campbell, Vice President of Community Relations and Minority Business Development. Thanks very much for taking some time, just giving us really sort of a very brief overview of what you and the thousands and thousands of other cast members and volunteers do each and every day to really make a difference. Lou, and I, and I thank you and your fans for the passion that they have for our brand and, and for our company and appreciate, you know, the effort that you all will spend and hopefully acquainting yourselves with, you know, the other side of the magic that we try to create, you know, outside of the park. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. For this week's listener email section, I wanted to welcome back to the show Becky Mankin. She's the owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. She's going to help me answer some of your vacation planning and travel-related questions. I want to welcome you back to the show, Becky. Thanks, Lou. It's great to be back. I appreciate you coming on. And like I said, I like to bring you on because this this is what you do. You 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 know do vacation planning and making magic for people. So maybe you can help me out with some of these. We're going to get right into it because, once again, we have a lot to get to. The first comes from John Miller, and he says, Hey, Lou, love the show. Keep up the great work. I have a ticket question that I'm hoping you can answer. We've gone the last several years, the second week of November, to the world for a week to enjoy the Very Merry Christmas Party. One of my favorite things to do, by the way. This year, we've decided to go October 11th through the 17th to try the not-so-scary Halloween party. How are the crowds going to compare at this time of year? Also, we normally buy a seven-day park hopper for two adults and two kids. This year, our nephew and his girlfriend are going as well, so we're trying, not, we're trying to cut some costs to help them out. We really only use the park hopper on two of the seven days, usually the day we go to Animal Kingdom. Why? It's not a half-day park, but that's beside the point. And the other, we're at the studios. Again, not a half-day park. John, I have to come touring with you. What if, instead of buying a seven-day park hopper, I bought a 10-day standard ticket. On the two days, we did hit more than one park. 
That would simply burn an extra day off the 10-day ticket, right? So by my calculations, seven days at the world, with two of those days hitting two parks, that would be a total of nine days, which would leave me another day to use as a backup. What do you think? Thanks again, Josh. Becky? Well, if I'm understanding the situation correctly, you can only use your base ticket once on any given date. So you could only go to one park. So your plan to go hit two would actually require a park hopper. So unfortunately, that's not going to work. True, but let's get to the real important stuff, and that is going to the parties because that's, like I said, something that I enjoy doing. I think you're really going to enjoy Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, especially if you've liked the the Very Merry Christmas Party in the past. You said you're going October 11th through the 17th for the Halloween Party. You used to go in the second week of November for the Very Merry Christmas Party. So, Becky, when we're talking about how the crowds are going to compare that time of year, there's other stuff going on when he's going in October as well that we're going to have to take into consideration. Oh, absolutely. October is a great time to go. The weather is, is usually pretty much under control, and it's it's nice and cool, and you can kind of uh, really in, enjoy the surroundings. And I so agree with you on the not-so-scary Halloween party. It's one of my favorites as well. But during that um, period of October 11th to the 17th, you're running into a couple of things. First of all, the first weekend is actually the Columbus Day holiday. And the, the crowds tend to be a little bit... Um, uh, more significant during that time period anytime that you run into a, a holiday also the food and wine festival is going on over at Epcot so you'll see a little bit more crowds during that time than you would normally see on the second week or, or beyond between that time of the second week of November to the Thanksgiving holiday so it's going to be a little bit more crowded yeah as far as the, the party itself is concerned because you're going relatively early you're not going very close to halloween the crowds i don't think are going to be all that bad over in the magic kingdom and any sort of additional crowd that you will get in the parks whether it be epcot or the the parks as a whole are definitely worth going down during food and wine because becky as we like to talk about food that is (laughs) is without a doubt one of the best times of year to go and that's a whole separate conversation for a whole separate show but um, the weather is great Food and wine is going on. You've gotten out to a scary Halloween. Um, I think you're really, really going to have a good time. Oh, I completely agree there. I would make a suggestion, though, that on the party, if you can go during the week rather than the weekend, the party might be a little bit less crowded during that time. True. And don't be embarrassed about dressing up. If I'm gonna Not wear, at all. If I'm going to wear Jawa robes to Star Wars weekends, then... <laughs> by golly, you can wear whatever you want to uh, <laughs> to not-so-scary Halloween parties. So, All right. The next question, Becky, comes from Annie in Ohio. She says, My super great question for Lou. Hi, Lou. I absolutely love, love, love your show. Thank you. Being a self-proclaimed Disney expert, I was happily humbled by your vast... Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. You never cease to amaze me with your weekly podcast. Now for my questions. My family and I are looking to plan out our yearly trip to Disney around August or October 2008. My mother is a new government employee and has noticed frequent discounts lately because of her position. We were wondering if Disney offers any discounts for government employees other than Shades of Green for accommodations, dining, etc., Not that it would ruin our vacation if there weren't any opportunities, but it doesn't hurt to ask, right? Thanks for taking the time to read my email and answer these questions. Thanks again, Annie in Ohio. 
Well, in general, there's kind of a, a bad news, good news situation here. In general, Disney doesn't offer a standard government employee discount. In the past, they have offered limited specials where they've had discounted rates for military, police, firefighters, etc. Um, and of course, Shades of Green is for members of the military. But aside from the standard discounts like annual pass holders or Florida residents, they really don't offer any other standard discounts. Um, however, at the Swan and Dolphin, you can get discounts for government employees um, or even teachers and nurses. They've got special rates over there as well for their rooms. But the rooms are limited, so you need to check as early as possible, especially on the most popular travel dates, to get those discounts. And just to be clear, the, the nurses and teacher rates are only at the Swan and Dolphin, not at all the, the Disney Resort Hotels. Correct. And the Swan and Dolphin also has the government employee discount as well on, on select dates. Okay. There you go. So, Becky, the next question is from Chuck Lionberger. He is from Virginia, and he says, Lou, love the podcast. You help make my Mondays go by smoothly. I have a question about a topic which, sadly, you may not have much experience with, food at Walt Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I didn't put this one here on purpose. Anyway, we are returning in Walt Disney World in December for our third trip in two years. One big change, though, my oldest son is now 10, and in Disney's eyes, is now an adult, much to my dismay when I have to get tickets. So here's the problem. He has Asperger's syndrome, which is similar to autism, and is a very picky eater about food. When he was considered a child, it wasn't as big of a problem as he's okay with chicken nuggets, which are often on the kid's menu. Now that he's ordering from the adult menu, I'm struggling to figure out where to book our ADRs. I'd like to take my entire family, wife and three kids, to some other restaurants other than Chef Mickey's so they can experience other parts of Disney. How flexible is Disney with the adult versus kids menu, and would they make some adjustments to allow a young adult to order from the kids menu? I'll be using the dining plan, and don't mind using an adult table service credit for a kid's meal. I've been on some sites and checked out some menus. If I'm stuck to adult menus only, my options for him are pretty limited. Thanks for the help. Look forward to the next edition to the audio guide, Chuck. So, Becky, really the question is, Disney's flexibility about the adult versus kid's menu. Can adults order, off, uh, order from the kid's menu, and, and how does that work with the dining plan? Right. It's been my experience that the, the good news is that um, they have allowed 10-year-olds or actually adults in some areas to actually order off the kids' menu at any restaurant. So you might want to check the menu and ask the question at the specific restaurants as well to see if it's okay for him to order off the kids' menu. But at that point, you can elect to pay the um, child's meal in cash and use the dining plan for everyone else's so that you're not wasting an adult um, dining plan uh, credit on on the child's meal. Um, using this method can also save you a few dining credits to use towards the ones that require two. So in, it's been my experience that they have been very flexible with being able to order off the child's menu. So just like in all of Walt Disney World, Almost anybody can be a kid, even when it comes to dining, and you can. And they won't really give you a hard time ordering from the kids' menu. I have never had a problem with it myself, but again, the best thing to do is when you arrive at the restaurant to um, to ask the question, and or even when you're making your um, your ADRs to ask them if there's going to be an issue with that specific restaurant, just to be sure. And one thing he didn't mention, but maybe we could say here, is that if he or, or somebody else has specific dietary restrictions or limitations or there's something special, but there's a restaurant that you want to go to specifically, Becky, can't they call and 
if they call, you know, far enough in advance, let them know about some of these things. And Disney will, will oftentimes try and make certain accommodations for them. Absolutely. I have to tell you that Disney is probably one of the best to work with when it comes to dietary restrictions. And if you call and you speak to the people at the um, uh, at the Dining Res Center and tell them what the, um, the restrictions are or what the situation is, in some cases they will uh, give you the phone number to speak with the chef's departments to make sure that the, um, that the meal is going to be appropriate for the need. Excellent. All right, next question says, Hey, Lou, thanks for the show and all the details you put into. I've been a listener since January. Really enjoy the news and rumor mill segments each week. I also love when you have Becky Mankin on. Okay, I added that part in myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was just listening to the most recent show about you having a discussion with Jeff and George about the best time of year to visit Walt Disney World. My wife and I are planning a trip during the first week of August, and we hope the weather is nice. On that note, I was thinking about the hurricane season and how that might affect some families' decision to stay away from Disney during that time. To your knowledge and with the connections you have, do you know how Disney works with guests on site during a hurricane? I know they most likely close the parks, but what about those staying in the resorts? I'm sure there's travel insurance you could purchase that'll refund your trip if you decide to cancel at the last minute, but what about those who are willing to brave the weather? I know Disney's parks are built to handle the central Florida weather with underground utilities and such, but I was just curious about how guests are assisted. Do you know if the resorts have things in place? Friends of ours were in Disney in August of 2004 when Hurricane Charlie hit. They visited the parks the day after it left the area, and to their surprise, everything was almost untouched aside from the occasional broken tree. They were staying off-site, so they couldn't answer my questions. Thanks for the details you include in the show. Look forward to hearing from you on or off the air. That comes from Adam in Ohio. These are all great questions. And let me start by saying that hurricane season is officially June 1st to November 30th. But a storm can happen any time during the year. And I'm really glad that you mentioned travel insurance, Adam, because it's a, it's a great idea to protect your vacation investment. But it's also important to know not all insurance policies are alike. So if you're talking about travel insurance, be sure you ask all the questions about what is and isn't covered before you buy to ensure it protects and and covers you for the things you're looking for. Having said that, um, as for how Disney handles hurricanes, and I have to say that safety is pretty much the prime directive for this company. For how they've handled, from what I read and what I heard from clients about how they handled it when Charlie hit, it's obvious that they have extensive emergency operations plans ready to go when it's needed. But each situation is unique, so the response plan is geared towards this specific situation. What I've seen and heard from guests is they do all they can to ensure the safety and comfort of the guests. Um, there were very specific stories about some people in the contemporary resort were asked to stay in their rooms during one specific time. They had people come around with Mickey bars. Um, there was all kinds of ways that the cast members reached out to make sure people were safe and comfortable. And that's the thing. You know, we can't, it's hard to talk about specific instances because obviously it's taken on a case-by-case basis depending on the severity. Like you, Becky, I heard from readers and listeners a lot of those same types of stories, how when they were sort of holed up in the resort, Disney was able to bring out characters so that adults and kids can come and meet them and keep them entertained. And they made sure that not only were people safe, but that there was enough food and water for people who may have been stuck 
in the resort for for a couple of days. So, again, without speaking specifically to plans of action, knowing what our level of expectation is and how Disney handles things, uh, I'm sure it's safe to say that Disney always ensures not only that you're safe, but like you said, that you're comfortable and that they're going to make the boat, you know, they're going to help you make the most out of the time that you have if you're not able to get to the parks and enjoy the resorts as you normally would. Absolutely. And that last hurricane season that came through was one of the first times that they had shut down the park and people were singing the company's praises as to how they were handled and how they were, were treated during that time. So um, I have full confidence that the company you know, takes really good care of its guests. Yeah, and you know if they're going to close the parks and keep you in the resort, you best not be going anywhere. Because yeah, it, there's it, a it, reason. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's pretty bad. But, you know, like you said, too, the one thing I remember people saying was that when they were allowed back into the parks the next day or the day after, it was almost as though nothing had happened other than mm-hmm. the tree maybe on the side of World Drive that was down or, or damage in that respect. But the parks were kept exceptionally well, and they made sure things really were sort of back to normal very quickly. Right, quite an operation. It's amazing. It's amazing how they do it 24-7-365. So, all right, the next email is from Kim in Tolland, Connecticut. She says, Lou, I have an odd and convoluted question and know that you're a man to answer it. That's why I brought Becky in. I'm going to the world and we'll have my sisters. And we purchased a package and I have a four-day Magic Your Way ticket. They're leaving on Wednesday and my husband will be coming down that afternoon for another four days. I don't want to purchase another three-day ticket. I'll already have a ticket for Wednesday. I also have one day left on a park hopper that I purchased a few years ago, so I only need two more days. The question is this. Can I just add two days to my four-day ticket, and how would that work? Would they give me a new card when I check out of the hotel, just add it to my Key to the World card? What are the odds that this would be seamless and pain-free? I assume I'm not the first person to have this happen. Any info is greatly appreciated. Love the show, Lou. You are the highlight of my week. Well, thank you very much. And that, again, is from Kim. So, all right. She's got a ticket with a couple of days on it. How can she, if she can, go about adding days to it? Yeah, actually, this is pretty simple and painless, or it has been in in my experience. Basically, when you get there and you go to check into your hotel advise the um, the cast member that you would like to add two more days to your four-day ticket. And it should be as easy as them just running the transaction for you. They may ask you to go to guest services to help with that transaction, but it, it shouldn't be too painful at all. Uh, just be sure to do it at the very beginning of your of your trip. Don't go to the park and start using it and then come back and ask to ask, add days. Do it at the very beginning when you arrive. All right, Becky, that is unfortunately all the time we have for emails this week. I appreciate you coming on again, helping me out with these. Uh, I want you and other members of your team to keep coming back on the show to not only answer emails, but we're going to do some other segments. We're going to do some other travel tips and uh, some other things. And, And I have to just make, as a quick aside, a very big thanks to you and everybody over at MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. And I don't know if you wanted me to say this or not, but during the month of June, for people that book a Disney vacation through uh, MEI Mouse Fan Travel. They have generously decided to donate and help give back to the community by selecting my Dream Team project to make a donation to for everybody that books. And I just want to tell you how much I really appreciate you doing that and, and allowing me to be a part of, uh, of your charity efforts. Oh, my pleasure, Lou. Honestly, thank you for allowing us to um, to participate. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, part of the piece of our company is to 
be a part of the community and, and this is just one of those opportunities that I really enjoy. So thank you for having me on and, and thank you for the opportunity. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it as well. And uh, there's lots more to come in the future. Like I said, I'm going to have you on. And Becky, you and I know we have some pretty magical things uh, planned for the future that I'm definitely looking forward to. Terrific. Stay tuned. (laughs) Thanks, Becky. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. I also want to say thanks to my guests, Eugene Campbell, Glenn Whalen, and Becky Mankin. A special thanks to Becky and her team over at Mouse Fan Travel again. They will be making a donation to my Dream Team project for any bookings made through their company during the month of June. I just want to say thank you again for doing that. If you want to be on the air, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Or if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion, anything you want to send in, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. I want to say a quick thanks to everybody that had a chance to meet this past week in the parks and around the resorts. I really appreciate you coming over and saying hello. It was really a pleasure to meet all of you and your families. So thank you once again. Now, very quickly, I mentioned at the top of the show that I had a few announcements. So here you go. First, thanks to our friends over at ownerslocker.com. I'm pleased to announce an exclusive offer just for WDW Radio Show listeners. For a limited time, you can save $50 off the standard annual plan, meaning it's just $25 to sign up. Now, you've heard me talk about Owner's Locker for a long time. I have one. I really do use it on each of my visits. And you, like me, probably may be wondering, what am I going to put in this thing? Just like I said before I got my locker, And now I can't imagine going to Walt Disney World without it. I think if you try it, you'll see not only how it can help you save money, but how much more convenient vacationing to Walt Disney World is going to be. If you want to take advantage of the offer, when you go to the sign-up page, make sure you say that you heard about the owner's locker from Lou Mangiello. Click Recalculate Order, and the $50 discount will be applied. Now, I've also mentioned that I've been working on my next CD in my audio guide to Walt Disney World series, and that is going to be Adventureland. But Main Street USA is still available on CD for $9.99, an instantly downloadable file for just $7.99. But a lot of you have written to me and asked me exactly what is the audio guide, what it's not, and maybe for even a little bit of a sample of what's on the CD. So what I thought I'd do here is play a small clip for you to get an idea of what you can hear on the CD. And if you can, I suggest putting on headphones so you can really get the full effect of the ambient audio. You can also watch a short video preview of the guide. You can find a link to the video preview on the WDW Radio Show homepage. On that page, you'll also find more information about the guide and exactly how you can order. So here's just a little clip, a little sample of what you'll get on the Main Street USA Audio Guide to Walt Disney World. Wandering through the store, you'll not only see a number of exits onto the streets, but one that leads to the Chapeau and the Main Street Cinema next door. In fact, did you know that even though these shops look as though they're separated based on the facades outside, they're actually connected all the way down the block? This makes the shops easy to browse through and also makes for an easy escape from the Florida rain. It's also a great way to avoid traffic jams on Main Street as the crowds leave the park or during parades since you can enter from one end of the street and exit from the other. 
The confectionery was also the former home of the Camera Center, known at one time as the GAF Camera Center. It later became the Polaroid Camera Center and then the Kodak Camera Center as corporate sponsors changed throughout the years. Inside, the store sold and processed film and supplies, performed minor repairs, and had cameras available for purchase or rent. Today, camera supplies can be found over at the Town Square Exposition Hall. As we leave the confectionery, we can see that this single shop is made up of no less than three distinctive facades, each with its own signage. You'll instantly recognize how the architecture changes and progresses as you head down the street towards the castle. This is important to note here, as we'll discover along our tour, that the journey down the street is also a metaphorical travel through time. The more than 50 facades represent not only changes in architectural styles, but the changes that come through the passage of time. Because like any small town, it's rooted in town square, but as it grows, it expands outward and transitions in a number of ways. Pay close attention to both the exterior and interiors of the shops, as gas lamps give way to electric lights, and the decorative architecture modernizes as well. The town's growth and maturity is measured by the addition of new shops, and we'll see more later in the tour where other evidence of this is found. A window above the striped awning on the third facade of the confectionery reads, Buena Vista Magic Lantern Slides. Treat your friends to our special tricks, Yale Gracie, Bud Martin, Ken O'Brien, and Wathel Rogers. Now, if the name Gracie sounds familiar, that's because it's your ghost host over in the Haunted Mansion, named in honor of Yale Gracie. He was responsible for creating many of the special effects used throughout the Magic Kingdom, including the mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. Other Imagineers on this window also created a number of effects, most notably Wathel Rogers, known as the father of audio animatronics, for his work with Walt on creating the prototype for the technology. The next building on this side of the street is the Main Street Cinema, which at one time used to actually be an attraction in that it showed short movies on a number of screens. And speaking of the website, if you are a new listener, or maybe if you haven't been to the site recently, go on over and check out the new WDWRadio.com. For a lot of new features, there's also a list of shows uh, by topic, so you can maybe go back and listen to a show that you may have missed in the past. And finally, I want to let you know that something big is coming in the next few weeks that I will announce on the show. Are you up to the challenge? Stay tuned and find out. So to comment or talk about the show with other listeners, please visit the WDW Radio Show forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. If you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Have a great week, and thanks for tuning in once again. See ya. Hey, Lou. This is uh, me, John Beale. And i just like to say that I went on iTunes and bought the season of Disney, and it was probably one of my best iTunes purchases in a long time. Because, you know, through Monday through Saturday, as I eagerly await the next podcast, you know, sometimes I miss Disney a bit. And, you know, I like to, it was, it was fun watching it in Samantha Brown, because I, I actually missed the last season of Disney on the Travel Channel. So, you know, it was nice on iTunes to watch it. So anyone who has an iTunes account should definitely invest in this season of Disney purchase. Anyway, keep up the good work. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Bob from Harvard, Massachusetts. Uh, first of all, I love your show. Uh, just fantastic. I really enjoy it. A little piece of trivia about the Liberty Bell, which you probably already knew. And, of course, it would be fantastic to hear you and Jeff Pepper do a DSI on the Liberty Bell sometime. Maybe you already have. 
But something that I didn't know, and I was learning just as I was talking to the engineer today as I was writing it, the uh, the paddle actually is very much controlled by the engineer that's down on the lowest deck. Uh, he or she controls that paddle, and that actually really does truly propel the uh, Liberty Bell forward or, for that matter, backward as they're maneuvering a little bit. Uh, the only thing that's not 100% authentic uh, as compared to a true riverboat is it does ride on guide wheels uh, in the river, and, and uh, the engineer today explained to me that that's because just it's, it's just so small. The Liberty Bell is so big that it requires the additional uh, guides to, to maneuver it carefully around the, around the river. Uh, here's another little piece of trivia, though. You may, you may not have known this. Uh, certainly some of the alligators that you see throughout the parks are, of course, uh, Disney-quality animatronics, but apparently I learned today that uh, sometimes they get a real one in here, and actually there, there is a real one here today. Uh, it's just a little one, about three to four feet long, but it's kind of funny to be riding along and think you're maybe looking at a, an animatronic, and you think, wow, what quality is that? But turns out to be a real one. Uh, I'm sure as it gets uh, a little bit larger, I'm sure the folks will, will uh, remove it so that no one gets hurt. But anyway, neat stuff. Love your show. Fabulous. And uh, if you haven't already, I'd love to hear you and Jeff Pepper do a DSR and delivery bell. Thanks. Keep it up. Take care. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Jeff calling from Connecticut, actually down in Orlando at the airport waiting to board our plane to go back to Connecticut. Just wanted to call in to your show and say that it was a pleasure meeting you down at um, Hollywood Studios last week for uh, Star Wars weekend. Uh, my family, including my wife, uh, had a great time meeting you. Uh, enjoyed the free gifts that you gave us as well. Um, and we look forward to uh, meeting up with you again sometime, uh, maybe this year, down in uh, uh, Hollywood Studios again or possibly one of the other three parks. Um, again, your, your podcast is the best, and uh, we look forward to hearing, uh, continuing the best podcast out there yet, and um, talk to you soon. Thanks. 